song is called Rocket is from Connor Cherlin's album, Lake. Connor is my guest today, and we're going to be talking about making that album, raising money for it, distributing it, uh, his philosophy on writing songs in volume, and also his very wonderful takeaways of how to get big gigs in the music industry. There's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about, and that's up next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 48. My name is David Lane, and it is great to be with you once again. Okay, no rambling at all today. We're going to go ahead and get into the topic of today's episode. And there really isn't a singular topic. My guest today is Connor Cherland. He's an L.A.-based musician. He just recorded an LP called Lake that was released this past week. We tried to actually get this interview in a little sooner so that we, it could be kind of an announcement of his gig, and, and he also had an after party, but we were just a little late. Uh, entirely my fault <laughs> in putting this together. But but his album is available to stream everywhere, and we're going to talk about that. We'll talk more about that toward the end. What we're really going to talk about is some of the things that he's learned in his career as a musician. So first of all, he was not a career musician when he got started out of school. He was a full-time uh, employee in, in the tech industry. And we're going to talk about what led him to leave that behind to become a full-time musician. We're going to talk about some of the things he did that would allow him to succeed. He has a very interesting approach that's not unique. I think a lot of songwriters share this. He has a habit of creating songs in volume so they can find the diamonds in the rough. And it's an approach that I think a lot of songwriters think they don't need to do, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you write 10 songs, you don't necessarily have 10 good songs. You might have one, two, three, maybe four. He also has a great takeaway when it comes to trying to get your name out there for some work. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what he says, but I'm not gonna give away yet how he elaborates on it. He said he nearly did what a lot of musicians do, which is to just hand out their business card to the person they want to get a job from. But instead, he realized that the smart thing to do was to get their business card. Why is that important? We'll keep listening to find out. And then one other thing we're going to talk about that I thought was really important, and it was actually probably the the, the biggest thing I learned about Connor in advance that prompted me to want to get him on as a guest, and that was after seven years of being a full-time musician and succeeding, he thought it was important to become a student again. He started taking lessons. So without any further delay, here is my conversation with Connor Cherland. Well, it's my pleasure today to be chatting with Connor Cherland. So Connor, thank you for uh, joining the Musician Toolkit today. Of course. Thanks for having me, David. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what, you know, what your main instrument is, where you're located, just kind of, you know, what you do at this point in time. Yeah, so I kind of was a four chord Connor on the guitar from like age 10 through age 18 and then decided to to learn a couple more. Um, so guitar is kind of my, my background. And then in the last two years, picked up piano and um, that's my primary songwriting tool at this point. 
Nice. Okay. Um, well, you know, I mean, a lot of songs have been made with four chords. You know, you've probably seen Axis of Awesome <laughs> out there. <laughs> Absolutely. No, they're they're good for a reason in that they're very strong. Yeah. But um, it's very interesting how many songs, once you realize what other chords are out there. Oh, like, yeah. Oh. Also, a lot of songs have been written with all the other chords. <laughs> yeah. I actually think it's... Uh, and. And, and I say this as someone who used to be the type of guy that would criticize music for not having enough chords, but I'm kind of I kind of sit on the other side now. I, I realize there's a lot of great music that uses fewer than four chords out there. And um, you know, one of my favorite mm. bands is Radiohead. And uh, when the album In Rainbows mm. came out, you know, one of the I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or somebody, you know, one of their you know critiques of that album was, um, you know, some of the songs only had two or three chords to them. <laughs> and I'm like, right, right. And I just want to say, and <laughs> you know, there's a lot yeah. of other things musically going on that make it really good. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, that, that said, you know, not everybody, you know, there, there's a lot of merit to John Coltrane, Giant Steps, you know, things that use a whole lot of chords, you know, as well. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's fascinating how often I'll like show these more complicated songs to friends and then I'll just show them a classic one four chord song and they're like, man, that one's my favorite hands down. And I'm like, all right, sweet, man. So uh, in your bio, you mentioned that uh, seven years ago you left a career in tech to become a full-time mm-hmm. musician. So tell us about that story. I mean, tell us, tell us what you were doing in, in technology and, uh, you know, what, what are the steps that led you to decide, but also gave you the opportunity to become a full-time musician? Yeah, well, I was, um, I graduated from college at University of Santa Barbara for environmental studies. Didn't really know what I wanted to do for college. I was just told, you know, we, we, we're going to cover your college, make sure you have science in, involved. So I did that. Um, and then when I graduated, I, um, I had a buddy who already worked at this tech company, and they built software for property managers. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, I can build websites. That was one of the, the, the tools that I gained in college working at a food bank. And um, because I already had that job locked in, they got to ask me, like, how how much time do you need between when you graduate and when when you want to start? And I was like, if you can give me three weeks, that'd be great because I'd love to write and record some songs. Because I was like inheriting uh, music recording equipment. I I people gave me like two thousand dollars worth of free equipment like within a month uh, around like the month that I was graduating, and it was very confusing and awesome and. Um, from there, I I take this tech job. I'm building websites for property managers. It's like very plug and play. It's very like high volume, high touch clients. So it's like you're dealing with like up to 60 clients at a time. Mm. I built 500 websites myself in two years. And um, my whole, I had been told my whole life, like careful of the rat race, man. You got to mm-hmm. like, got to keep yourself in check and like, and I was like, okay, so I, I'll do everything I can to, to preserve myself against the rat race. And um, so I'd wake up early, I'd bike to work, get there at like 7, 
and then I could leave at 3, 3.30, and then I'd bike back home, and that biking was my exercise, and the, the job was my work, and then I had the rest of the night to make music, and I would go home, lock myself in the bathroom, and then try and get songs out as much as possible, and that was when I was, um, I was in like this challenge of 40 songs in six months, and my goal was if I don't write six good songs out of 40, I should just quit forever. Mm. And uh, that's that's how that got started. I found a good six, and then I've kind of continued on that, like, 40 for six train ever since. <laughs> where, um, my, my percentages go up uh, minusculely, but they do go up over time. And that's that's been a sweet, uh, a sweet thing to find. Um, and then while I was, like, day jobbing as this website maker, I was... Um, in the night I would be playing some gigs and it turned out like once a month and then like twice a month and then once a week and then three times a week. And then, and then both jobs basically came to me and was like, Hey, we, we could have you do more here if you did less elsewhere. Mm. And that was kind of the, the crossroads. And I figured I was young enough still at the point where I was, and I had been intentionally saving up a nest egg to, um, keep myself safe. So it was time to make that leap, and I did, and that's seven years ago. It's been yeah. seven years straight of this. And you said you were young enough. You look pretty young now. How old are you? <laughs> that's true. Uh, 31, almost 32. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I would have put you closer to, like, mid-20s. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's very bizarre. Most people in their 30s think I'm uh, their younger brother. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, that, uh, you know, you're... you're you know, once you reach a certain age, that is a virtue, you know, <laughs> like when you're, yes, maybe when you're true. a teenager, it's not, but you know, once you, once you get a certain age, you know, that's, that's a great thing. Uh, I want to, I want to exactly. comment on something you mentioned. You talked about you, you, your immediate goal of like writing 40 songs and coming up with six good ones. I don't think a lot of songwriters, you know, re realize the importance of that. I, I think, first of all, there's this conception or misconception that when you're writing music that, you know, everything's a hit, you know, and, and this is across the arts. Um, I don't yeah. think a lot of people have any idea when they watch a movie how much stuff is on the cutting room floor. There's a lot of right. things that, that are shot, but only a little bit of it is kept. And, you know, so, so many songs are recorded for an album. If you have a 10-song album, there's probably at least 10 songs you didn't hear that were recorded and 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 yeah. these are by people who have been recording for a while when you know so when you're getting started i would say getting six good songs out of 40 might have been even a little bit of am ambitious you know i i think i might have <laughs> gone more like six out of 60 or something like that 10 percent. but uh you know you got your six and that's good but you know that's a good goal it's like you start off with a lot of volume and uh you know just in the classical world I believe it was Benjamin Britten. Uh, it was either Britten or Vaughn Williams. It's one of those British composers that uh, said, you know, a lot of what you write, if you just write often enough, is just going to be crap. Yeah, I mean, they probably said something else. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's just something that's not going uh, to be useful on its own. But it's the creative process. You're getting a lot of stuff out and then you're refining it i mean uh you know back to the rock world you know uh, weezer rivers cuomo 
he has mm. I don't know how many thousands of songs just in like a a, a Google Drive file or something like that. Every now right. and then he <laughs> he brings one out and Weezer learns it. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I I have a question for you if you don't mind sure. on, on this topic. This yeah. is because you're also a music maker yourself, and this is this mm-hmm. is a debate I've been having among other music makers lately. Is a a lot of or a few people that I know kind of object to pumping out large volume of of songs because when you do when you do go through all of that you know like what what really can you uncover you know like mm-hmm. what what do you you haven't lived any additional life so right. what additional insight do you have how how do you kind of balance for yourself the i need to live life so that i have things to write about right versus i need to write so that i get good at writing so I'm I'm probably the wrong person to actually have an opinion on this because uh, you know I, I I'm a composer who will write lyrics when I have to <laughs> you know so I'm not yeah. you know so the songwriting side of it is I'm I'm not as fully into that as you know uh, a lot of others are so but um, I mean I would just say I I don't think that I would base a career off of that you know i wouldn't base i would really wouldn't base a decision off that it's kind of like what do i feel like i can do um because i think only a small percentage of people are going to have a really strong opinion either way it's like i think if taylor swift released a you know one or two songs a week you know for for the rest of this decade I bet there are millions of fans who would not complain <laughs> about that. You know? So it's just, um, you know, but among those, there probably are going to be some that like, well, you know, she's still, she's still dating the same guys. Like she hasn't had any new experiences, any, any new breakup <laughs> material or anything like that. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, I, I would, I would say I can see the argument, but only if that's important to you, you know, it's like, I, I don't know that every mm-hmm. song has to have some deep significance, you know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, if you, back to Weezer, uh, they, they actually yeah. laugh when anyone tries to figure out what their songs are about, because I think his process is he <laughs> kind of like, uh, he has a database of lyrics and he just kind of picks, here's the first line, here's the second, here's the third. There's no thought to what it right. means at all. So, um, right. yeah, I think you have to you have to know what matters to you as a songwriter, and you have to stay yeah. true to that mission. Um, the other thing I wanted to just yeah. comment on your story, you know, you, you your career in technology. Uh, it's nice that you've had that experience because I've I've talked to some musicians before, people like myself who really from the time they graduated high school never considered anything else you know they just they just went into music and there's always that thought of you know so the grass is greener mentality it's like should i have gone into something into tech into business or you know know, because music is even when you're successful it's a volatile career as far as you know making income you could have a really good month you have a, a lean month you know and so there's that thought of you know wouldn't it be nice to have something reliable and, and stable right. and uh you know and, and certainly for for a lot of people you can do that there are people also do both you know you uh you mm-hmm. I, i've i've actually there was a band in jacksonville one time uh it's been so long um uh, i know the 
people in the band, but I can't remember the name of their band. But they made some really interesting music, and uh, they said that they did only original music. But um, that what they did was is they had day jobs that were not musicians, and they just kind of all decided music was kind of their nighttime activity. And they said because they don't, they didn't need to satisfy like the local requirements, you know, for getting paid for doing cover bands. They were not going to be a cover band, and they would do only the songs they wanted to do. So, you know, there's so many routes to doing that. But uh, you know, you decided that. Uh, <laughs> doing all these websites was not for you and you wanted to get into um you wanted to get into music yeah so so you've mentioned uh, you know when you're not recording albums you're you're doing things like you're playing for for you're playing for clubs corporate events and parties well for, you know what are some of the skills that you found as a musician that you've developed you know to do well with that and and also you know how do you market yourself for that? How do you get more work from that? Yeah, the I think some of the biggest skills are attunement, uh, appearance, and repertoire, probably in that order. Hmm. Because when you are hired for an event, you are a fixture mm-hmm. to someone else's statue you know yeah they're 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 creating an experience for their guests and a small part of that experience is how it sounds yeah so but before like when you think about like on social media what people share they share the image and like if the if it doesn't look good on a video if you sound beautiful but you don't match the occasion then then that can be a problem for most people because what they imagine in their mind doesn't just sound beautiful, but it's like, it's, it's dressed appropriately and it's calm. It's not adding any, any trauma to, mm. to the entire thing. Like, right. When you show up and the wedding planner is like, Hey, can I get you a chair? Can I get you any water? Being like, I got my water. I got my chair. I got my extension cords. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like those, those types of things, like it settles nerves mm-hmm. and that's what, the majority of people need from vendors at um, high net worth events. Um, they need people who settle nerves because what you often find is there are certain vendors who raise the nerves and like that, that's going to happen at every single event. So like there's, there's always going to be some drama with like the catering's doing this or one of the guests is doing this. So it's, it's our job to hold the peace yes. <laughs> and, uh, and your repertoire is as effective as it is connecting to the audience or just the majority of the gigs people want you to blend into the background with every once in a while people will poke their interest and be like, oh, I know this song. Oh, my gosh, he's good. And that's like <laughs> that's like the, the peak of that experience. Um, finding more work in those jobs there are event planners and wedding planners and those are the hubs um it's for for weddings you know like ideally your clients aren't getting married twice so they're going to be one time opportunities right. for you the majority of the time right so so that's it's really hard to chase couples 
Right. Um, unless you just hang out at a local Christian college and then, right. you know, <laughs> then I'm sure you'll have plenty of work. But uh, playing with with these wedding planners, getting their information, not just I've done this so much where I hand them my information and then I slap myself in the face and I'm like, no, get their information. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, you can follow up with your like very well-made videos, get like a good video camera, good audio get yourself dressed up in the way that you would appear at a wedding, be in a space that's similar to the weddings that you want to be hired for or at corporate events or whatever it is, and then show them that video because they, they're not going to use their imagination and think like, okay, guy in a T-shirt in his bedroom sings mm. beautifully. <laughs> they want to be like, oh, guy got dressed up and went to a fancy place <laughs> and recorded himself with a good camera that sounds like my guy. And um, when they, when you can put the picture in their mind, then they don't have to do any of that imagination work themselves. So I try to make, um, even my business cards are like, I have an artist business card and I have a weddings business card. And it's like um, me dressed up in a suit, laughing, playing guitar at a wedding. And it's like, it's, it's the exact image most people are hiring me for. Right. Um, so now, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've if you've done this much or if you've done this at all. But it, <clears throat> it seems to me like you know one good additional thing you could also do. You, you know, you can't. You can't. You're not going to rehire. You know, at least you hope you're not rehiring the same people. You know, that means their marriage hasn't gone very well. But uh, <laughs> getting testimonials, either from them or just yeah. like if. Um, I don't know if uh, if it's, let's say that they share with you like someone who was attending the wedding was like, that was a, that was a kick-ass band. That was a really good band. You know, it's like, uh, you put yeah. that in, you know, it just, it, if that comes across in an email, that's kind of fodder for the testimonial section. I would think that, cause exactly. that goes a long way. Cause if people, you know, if people were hiring you, yeah, it's good to have a demo. It's even better if someone's hired you and they really liked your work. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's smart. So um, um, finding finding multiple places to put those testimonials as well, like your your website plus like a Yelp page or something like that. Um, when when you first uh, kind of introduced yourself, you, you said something that really caught my eye, and that's uh, you know you you mentioned how you've been in music for seven years now, but you're you're returning to music as a student, and you started taking lessons again. So. Um, you know, just describe what is what is it like, you know, you're kind of returning to the world as a student and, uh, you know, what is it that, you, that you're learning? And, um, you know, it's like maybe compare how does that feel now in your early 30s than it, than it did 10 years ago? It's just so much more purposeful. Like it's learning. And I think who your teacher is and how clued into you they are really matters like in college it's a giant auditorium of sometimes like hundreds of kids and like I had one class that was really really intimate it was three kids plus the teacher and he was like let's just meet at my at my work desk and we would go to his office and we'd just like meet around the table mm-hmm. and that's and he would just just do oral reports the entire thing was just oral reports and like he's like you'll have one paper at the end but like 
all of this class is just going to be us talking like mm-hmm. and there's only three of us so like that's the level of accountability that i really like because i hate letting people down yeah and i love making people happy mm-hmm. so it's just like this people pleaser in me that's like it wants the gold star so badly um my my, my dad was my principal growing up so you can imagine what kind of uh what kind of need for um praise that created over the years right (laughs) (laughs) um he was also my volleyball coach but that's you know it's just it's it's a redundant point at that place right (laughs) um the yeah so right now my like my november through march basically is my like intense writing period and I'll start up lessons again with my music teacher, Josh. And I mean, he's also playing on this record. He's a friend of mine now. It's a really, it's, it's, it's a sweet relationship. And, um, he is teaching me principles in as far as they will be useful to me creating my own music, which is amazing. Where there was one day where I got to ask him, I was like, Hey, how do you know? Like for like background vocals, for like picking notes, when you have a melody, let's just break it down. Like when you just have the melody, how do you decide what chords go with it and where on the keyboard it goes with it? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, just you're asking for like just general harmony. Okay. And then he was like, well, we should probably op- like start a book. <laughs> and he was like and he like showed me a book about like these are some of the rules of harmony and these are some of the movements we want to avoid these are the these are the types of intervals and movements we want to avoid and and then it was just kind of a puzzle and then he would like be like here's the homework and I'd do it and be like okay great you understand the concept let's move on we don't like we can get as nerdy as we want into this he's like I do this homework and I've been doing this homework for years and I still get things wrong but he's like you're not you're not scoring for film the majority of the time so this is like i only want to give you the info as it's relevant mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah we did we did that i got to ask him like a mixing question and he was similarly he was like we should start another book <laughs> and it was like mixing secrets for the small studio and this like big old book and like the majority of the books I read now are because this guy told me to. So, right. Um, that one's yeah. actually on my to read list. I have I have that saved somewhere, but I have not read that one. <laughs> the Mixing Secrets for the Small Studio. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. uh, it's very, yeah. W- I think what's also nice about the books I'm finding, or the books that have been been given to me, is they're all very conversational. Mm-hmm. The other, um, the other textbook is um, Harmonic Experience. Mm. Um. And this is like, it's from this like hippie dude in his eighties, yeah. and he, uh, yeah, he. It, it's very conversational the entire time, and it's it brings it back to your experience and making sure that you are having an experience with music, not just taking in head information. Right. Um, you you mentioned also when you know before we recorded uh, a while back that you've thought about a couple of things when it comes to growing as an artist uh, about what are the things that well how do you how do you break through complacency and what are the things that actually drive change so so talk to us a little bit about that getting past complacency and getting to the change 
Absolutely. Well, I think there's, if you're a musician, like the idea of complacency has been probably a bit elusive for the last few years because the pandemic, you know, took that away. Yeah. And now there, there is like some change in economics where, uh, like some, some people call it like a recession for the elite at the moment, which if you're creating music like live music at events or you're like composing for like larger entities like the the budgets and availability is like so some of those jobs have declined and so like when i for me i'm very economically driven so if i start to drop below a certain level it's like okay now i need to develop even more skills it's not just about because, like, as a solo artist, you can play as many beautiful songs as a solo artist as possible, and that's a really lean operation. Um, there are other jobs as a solo artist that you will not be considered for if you don't have relevant marketing material and and the people who book this if they don't if they don't know that that's within your wheelhouse like well within your wheelhouse then they're not going to consider you for it um because there are other duo acts who have been out there longer than you there are other trio and full band acts that have been out there marketing themselves as that longer than you so finding finding your people building out a repertoire that's more band specific more like this is this is the strictly reception band project this is the the cute duo in a garden project <laughs> like mm-hmm. this um building out those types of things i'm like i market myself as a dj as well i have like the full dj set up with like um this year we're we're adding the lights to the to the display and all of this just cuz it's like when when all of your eggs are in this basket of like i can fit this mold it it just means that you're excluding yourself from all these other places and I'm trying to diversify in that way as well so that mm-hmm. I can start to pick up all this different type of work um without distracting from the main thing which is like I I do weddings and corporate events because they're they are high touch and they require a lot of like precise detail mm-hmm. but it's a lot of money in one day Mm-hmm. And so you have the other days to work on your art. And like that's that's like my my main thing that I'm trying to keep um keep precious and like keep intact throughout the years. Um and then there's this other thing of like complacency within music, like so that's that's the 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 like playing for others side. And then there's the like mm-hmm. playing for yourself side, the the art that you choose to make. How do you not grow complacent with that? Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many dimensions of, like, beauty that you want to make. Like, again, I mean, similarly, I can write a much better solo accompanied song than I can a band song. Because I understand solo accompaniment right. <laughs> way better than I understand every other instrument. And so the, the 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 challenge continues to be for me of like on on this upcoming record there's there are certain songs where I'm like oh man that just like hits 
hits the nail right on the head. That's exactly what I was intending. And then there are other ones where I'm like, that went a different direction and in, in, in certain ways, very good ways. But it's like, I don't know how that moved so far from my original vision as we added on these layers that I intentionally picked. Yeah. It just it just sounds so different. So where where are my knowledge gaps so that I can actually achieve what I'm looking for? And there's always going to be happy accidents, but like oftentimes when it comes to a big group number, I'm I'm often like getting lost in the sauce and we just end up with this very different thing and I'm like, "Okay, that's cool." But yeah intentionality rocks and i would love Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would love there to be just like more and more intentionality in my music and i think when you look at the the seven records that i've put out at this point like the intentionality only increases as as they iterate year after year and that's that's my main goal being like how do we get this to the point where i'm not like white knuckling it but i did really pick what i wanted it to sound like and it it becomes a really true expression of who you are rather than yeah a happy accident yeah you know uh, a lot of i think a lot of artists bands that have been very successful um it, it might be frustrating to some of their fans but their next album's probably not going to sound like the previous one you know like they they're probably uh, like you know the fans fall in love with a certain sound and the artists most artists i think are appreciative that they did that but they don't want to just go mm-hmm. back and recreate it now there's plenty of exceptions out there that are, you know kind of noticeably notably there are some blues artists you know that throughout the years that have just basically kind of done next record next record it's all kind of kind of the same and but yeah. but as artists that's kind of what they're fine with that. It's, it might be more about just changing the lyrics and and not so much with the music, you know? So, but when you're, yeah, certainly when you are taking the time in the moment to evaluate where you are now, and, and as you said, kind of seeing what, what do you need to learn to get to the next stage? You know, that's, you know, that's when things are going to change. I mean, um, you know, we still 50 years after the fact, we, we, uh, I mean, really coming up on 60 years after the fact, we still talk about the Beatles and right. it, it's, um, it's, it's almost hard to remember that everything they did, you know, as far as recordings was in about a six year period. And there's yeah. a pro, there's a profound difference between that first and sixth year. I mean, there's a pro- profound difference between the first and fourth year. It's just, Every, you know, everything was, I mean, at some point they weren't even touring. They were just like, let's try something different. Okay. That's good. Let's try something different. My favorite story is, is all about, uh, how they did, uh, believe it was almost, yeah, it was revolver. I had to think, was it rubber soul revolver is two R albums they did in a row, but yeah, it was revolver. (laughs) And, uh, the beach boys heard that. And said that they just, they wanted to see if they could do a little bit more with that, be a little bit more psychedelic, progressive, and so they did pet sounds. And then mm. the Beatles heard that and said, "Whoa, whoa! They 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 did it. They did more than us. We need to see if we can do more than that." So they did Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that's yeah. within a calendar year. 
<laughs> yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's incredible to me. Yeah. The, um, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your album, Lake. Now, uh, we're... Unfortunately, just just with editing periods, this this is going to come out, I believe, November thirteenth. So we're going to miss your your party by just a few days, your release oh, party good. and all that. But your album is available, so you know we'll uh, we'll definitely want to send people to that. Um, but I just, I just I listened to Lake and uh, I thought it was a very good album, and I just wanted to just ask it just a few questions, you know, uh, about it. Um, just, like who's who's recording on Lake? Is it solo, or do you have other musicians, or are you using like MIDI, or is it a combination? Yeah, this is a lot of it's it's almost one hundred percent live music. Mm-hmm. So um, the the drummer, I think all drums are from my buddy Quentin Perviance. Um, I'm he's also on a lot of percussion. I'm on a little bit of percussion. Um, my buddy John Betrell is the producer or co-producer on the majority of the tracks um justin rubenstein from the blasting company um the so the the blasting company they they put out um the music from this cartoon network show over the garden wall that Mm -hmm. a lot of people really like um i love that show and that's how i found josh and justin and uh yeah justin did all the horns and uh josh who's also my music teacher, he did a lot of the acoustic piano. Um, there are yeah, two different acoustic pianos played, and they're both different studios, and yeah, they're both by him. Uh, we had some electric guitar from my buddy John Moran, some bass from my buddies um, John, Maddie, and Jacob, and yeah, so there's just like tons, tons of musicians touching this, and it's so nice to be able to like this. It, it's such a highly insulated job for me mm-hmm. when I'm doing all of this and having other people in the room, especially like certain songs were played uh, for the most part live. Um, right. And we, we did multiple takes. So the songs Loretta Lake and brother were all done like at the same time on the same day um just with live takes so like that's i think i think lake is if it's not a oneer it's like it's like a 1 plus 2 right. so like loretta is also like a 1 plus 3 and then like brothers like a 1 plus 1 so it's like the the amount of comping in those are like relatively small for, right <laughs> for uh for what it is and that feels it feels so nice to like again i don't know why i always come down to logistics but because like logistics always like translate to morale for me where i'm like if you go from having nothing to having the drums the bass the electric the piano the vocal all at the same time like you've moved a mountain in Mm -hmm. a day now did you produce it yourself or did you have a producer and did you use like a recording studio Yes, so my buddy John Petrell and I, um, he he like solo produced a few songs. We co-produced a few songs, and then I solo produced a few songs. So um, between the two of us, that also just helps me to get out of my own head and 
uh, to have somebody to bounce opinions off of, which is great. Right. And did you use a recording studio um, or was it at home? Yeah. So it's a it's a mix of all three. So oh. there's a recording studio in Whittier that we used, a recording studio in um, like Highland Park, Glassell Park area called Verdugo Sound that we used, and then a lot of home recordings as well. So, um, and there's like, yeah, everything was kind of recorded everywhere. <laughs> right. So was the answer. You know, just for the benefit of those listening, thinking, you know, I'd like to record an album. Um, give us an idea. What is like, what is, how many months or, or years, if you want to use that, take us, like, what's the timeline from going to creating to recording to like, you know, your editing and, and preparation and then finally distribution, like from, from the moment you write the first song to the time you release the album, how much time is going by? Yeah, I'll tell you what I do, and then I'll tell you, like, standard industry advice. So, like, last year, November through March, I made a goal to write, like, because I wanted to write a full-length album, so I was like, I'm going to have to write at least 50. Mm-hmm. And that was um, that was the goal. I don't remember if I hit it, but I definitely, it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and by the end of that, around March, I had, like, these 10 demos of songs that I really liked. And then I started showing it to uh, my buddy John, who produces, and I showed it to um, Justin from The Blasting Company, and I showed it to Josh from The Blasting Company. And and those are all tummy checks, is what I call them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, how does it feel in your tummy? And what would you change? Just like, it, right now we're at the stage that we can change anything. We can totally eliminate songs. We could add new ones. Like, you could imagine what a better song would be like and just say it. Like, that's what that time is for. And we went through a couple of those, and he'd be like, okay, that note is totally out of whack. This, and you you can catch some of those mistakes pretty early. And then from there, like March to May, I was like, okay, I don't have the money for this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to crowdfund my first record. So I I need... I need to make a script. I need to like look at what other people are doing to crowdfund. There's all these different platforms. Which one do I want to use? And you just dedicate certain days to answering a question, which is like, by the end of today, I will know which platform I will use mm-hmm. and which types of scripts resonate with me for yeah. campaign videos. On this next day, I will have a completed script draft. Mm-hmm. And then by the next day, I will have a completed script. And then, like, the next day I will, like, plan with my videographer for where and when we're going to shoot this video. And so, like, you you eat the elephant one bite at a time. Yes. <laughs> and, and then you put out this video in May saying, like, hey, I need a lot of money. Who's interested in giving it to me? You get a ton of money week one. You get basically no money week two through seven Mm -hmm. and then weeks seven through eight like that's when you make your big final push like it did like an in-person fundraiser mixed with like just messaging a bunch of people directly just like hey you've been a big fan absolutely no pressure i would love your help in making this happen and i didn't have to ask anybody twice it was actually like relatively easy for because i had been in 
I've been playing these live shows for seven years now, so I've made a lot of contacts, and a lot of these people are like actual friends that we like mutually care about each other. They they, they want me to do well, right? Um, yeah. So then you meet your fundraising goal, mm-hmm. and then you make the record. Yep. Nice. Um, it's it's hiring the band. It's meetings with your producer. It's um, booking the studio, writing all the chord charts. Um, nailing down every single lyric to make sure that you're happy with it. Right. <laughs> and, like, uh, and then there's, you know, the recording, then the mixing. So, like, this this whole thing for me was November through end of October. Mm-hmm. From, like, writing them to distributing them. Mm-hmm. And that's a really fast timeline Yeah, for anybody trying to do that. And I don't think... I don't think that's the way that anybody would advise you to do it. Right. Because it it just puts a fire under you mm-hmm. that you might not need. And I have a pressure internally to release something, at least an EP every year. Yeah. Because I learn I didn't start this until end of college. Mm-hmm. So it's like my Everyone else has had, it feels, this is how it feels. It feels like everybody else went to college for it and had a knack for it before they went to college Mm -hmm. and have been passionate about it since. So I feel that I started out behind. Mm. And when you start out behind, there is a degree of boot camp that you need to catch up. Right. Um, And a lot of that boot camp for me, like, again, I'm motivated by finance yeah. I'm motivated by external judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm motivated by the internal drive to make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like, it's like if I'm making something beautiful in my own mind and other people aren't resonating with it and it's not making any money, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if I feel like I'm missing that mark over and over again, then I need to like continue to learn and grow year after year. Mm-hmm. And try again um, so that I'm not, yeah, so that the lessons are coming quicker than the average bear. <laughs> nice. Is there a specific song or two from Lake that, uh, you know, you're especially proud of how it turned out? Or maybe even your, it, there was something surprising when you got the, when you got the finished product that was a little more than you were hoping for? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The, the song end so the closer Mm -hmm. of the record is something that i had written the first part the actual like song piece and then i knew that there should be an outro Mm -hmm. and so i asked my buddy josh i was like would you mind like writing an outro like a horn outro for this and he like set up his midi and he like picked the different horns that he wanted and then we sat there and then he came up with a few different things and and then he like settled on the the finished product which is what we have now and it just felt so complete by the end and this other part where I, you know, he, he creates that in MIDI and I'm like, okay, great. Now I have to 
get the horn player to do these notes. Uh, so there's like me being the recording engineer there, which there's already like plenty of haywire that can happen in that scenario. And then, and then I have the horns and I listen back to them, run them through Melodyne and I listen to them and I'm like, ah, oh, it sounds harsher than I imagined it in my mind. So I'm like, okay, what else can I add to it? So I start adding falsetto ums mm -hmm. to, to, to double each of the, uh, each of those horn lines. And somewhere in the doubling process, I mess up, and there's just, like, a bunch of random stray notes. Mm -hmm. But, like, some of them sounded really good, yeah. <laughs> and, and some of them sounded really bad. So I had to, like, suss out where I went wrong and take out those wrong notes and add in other, other notes that would work well. But there's, there's, there's one particular spot in that outro where it's, it's what Josh intended plus my mistakes... And it's this really beautiful moment, and it only happens for probably a second to two seconds. But it, it feels so much more mournful and triumphant than I think it did originally with just the way that he put it. Because the way that he put it, it felt triumphant and sad. And then somehow with my voice and this like one strain note that I added in there, it just colored it mm -hmm. in this like way, way more nuanced way that felt so true to what the album really was. Um, so that that's just like one particular moment. Like another, another good example is, uh, lake the the title track which had you know like a little um like a little synth ooh uh mm -hmm. or like a little synth ah that would be like ah 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 and it was like a little much we ended up taking it out of the out of the first intro and verse and just like put it in one little section and it just creates this nice little accent but like it changed the entire vibe of the song. It was, it was like supposed to be this like much more like groovy situation. I, I, I'm in love with what we like came out with, which is like we got to use um, this profit from the from the recording studio. Plus, we got to use the Melodyne. Um, from the not the Melodyne, the Mellotron, <laughs> right? <laughs> from, from the recording studio, and those two things also like just changed the vibe in this really beautiful way that I hadn't anticipated. Nice. Uh, where can people listen to your album? Uh, everywhere: Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, I got it up on Bandcamp. So yeah, yeah, it's up, it's up everywhere, and um, yeah, a lot, yeah of your, a lot of your good distributing services website. just put them everywhere. So that's, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I put yeah. out one soundtrack album, and it's it showed me like all the places in like China and Japan where they can, right. <laughs> you know, Indonesia where they can listen to it. It's like I've never exactly. even gone to their sites to access it, but yeah, it's yeah, it's all out there. So <laughs> it's there, it's there. I yeah. think yeah. Yeah, can people like is it all is it streaming only? Is, I mean, if anyone's out there looking for like, if they still have a CD player, <laughs> do you sell anything? Yes, any uh, yeah. So, 
yeah, on my website, there's places to pre-order, and those will ship out on the 11th. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's the CDs, we have uh, stickers, we have hats that say Lake on it that I ordered in from Australia, and we got um, we got little beer koozies that say Lake on it, and, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a really beautiful thing. The, the album art is... Um, it's an actual painting that my buddy Joe did. Hmm. Um, I, I play pickleball with him, and he's a fine artist in town. And he, um, uh, so that that the the actual physical art will be at the release show, and mm-hmm. it's like it's now just like a staple in our home. It's like hung up with all the other paintings, so it's really sweet. Nice. Uh, so, where can people follow you or find out more about what you're doing? Um, my Instagram, my website. Um, TikTok, Facebook, what what have you. It's just Connor Churland, C-O-N-N-E-R. Share like the singer, land like the ground. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, just uh, kind of hearing your thoughts. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot a lot of gems, you know, that musicians of all genres can kind of take out, out from that. And I hope that everyone will go check out your music. Uh, but I already have and uh, would definitely, uh, you know, recommend wherever you want to go stream it, or if you want to go to your website and buy it, you know, definitely check it out. Cool. Thank you so much, David. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. And that's going to wrap up episode number 48 of the Musician Toolkit. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so honored if you would share it with at least one other person. Chances are, you know, someone who writes songs and someone who would like to maybe put out an album, maybe get some work like Connor has done. And perhaps this episode can help give them some ideas of some things that work. And he's making it work in L.A., so so you can make it work, too. If you found this podcast on YouTube and you're not already subscribed, I'd appreciate it if you would do that. And go ahead and click the thumbs up on the video. And if, it's your, if this was your first time listening to the Musician Toolkit, th- thank you so much and welcome. We encourage you to uh, click follow or subscribe on wherever you're listening so that you can catch each episode. There's a new episode each Monday. Some of the episodes are solo, and some of them are with great guests like Connor. Just a reminder, if you have a private studio of any kind, you want to improve the efficiency of your admin, such as scheduling and collecting payments. You should check out Fonz if you haven't already, and you can try it for free, and there's a link in my show notes where you can do that. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back again next week.